The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So I'd like for you to open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 29. And this evening we come to our fourth message in the series of Living for Jesus. And I want to speak to you tonight about worship, about living for Jesus in worship. Uh, the study, of course, that we are in is teaching us how to live for Jesus in every, uh, every day in many different aspects of our Christian life. And certainly we would have to say that our attitude about worshiping Christ is very critical to any discussion that we would have uh, on, on how to live for Jesus. Worship is a very important piece of Bible instruction. Uh, the scriptures put a premium, a priority on worship. And it's so critical that in the book of Psalms, there are many times where it says that we are to meditate on the things of God in the daytime and in the nighttime. It's a daytime and nighttime activity. In the very first psalm, you know that it says there that a blessed person is one who meditates on the Word of God day and night. And it also says that that kind of person delights in God. That means that he delights in God, in God himself because the Word of God is actually the expression of God the Scriptures calls Jesus the living Word. And that same idea is expressed to us in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Now there Paul is talking about the person who has confidence in Christ. He is safe, whether he's waking or sleeping. He's a person that has learned to worship God. He has seen the beauty of Christ through his word. And so he delights in the word of God to the glory of God and to the worship of God. Now the psalmist says in our text of Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2, he says, Given to the Lord, O ye mighty, given to the Lord glory and strength, given to the Lord the glory do unto his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now that last part, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now if you were here for the last message in our series, I spoke to you about obedience. And this dovetails perfectly into uh, that last message that we have, that we live for Jesus when we obey him, and that is when we are sanctified in holiness. Now, hopefully you remember that in that message we talked about corporate holiness. We divided that message up between our personal holiness and also our corporate holiness, that we are to be a holy church. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the corporate side of this. And so this evening, I, I could spend some time with you talking about what you should do in your private worship. Now, that is important because we do have our private worship but tonight, rather, we're going to focus on church worship. We're going to focus on the corporate aspect of this, and that is what we are to do in worship in the assembly of the church. And then I also want to speak of this day of worship. In Scripture, the Bible describes Sunday as the Lord's Day. This is a specific day that we come together as a body of Christ. 
And our statement of faith that I hope that you're familiar with says that the Christian Sabbath is to be kept sacred to all religious purposes. And what is the very highest purpose that a Christian has? That would be to worship God. So we come together to worship the Lord here in church in fellowship with one another. Now, living for Jesus is a life of obedience. And so I want to remind you that the Bible has something very definite to say about the day of worship. That we are also to be obedient to God on the day of worship. And what does it say that we are to do? Well, the Scripture says we are to assemble. Uh, the Bible has given us a special day for assembly. There is a command in Scripture that we are to honor the Lord's day as an assembly. And so this day is a very special day of praise. It's a praise of devote, or a day of devotion to God. And as our statement of faith reads, it is a day that we're to keep sacred, keep sacred for all means of grace, all purposes of grace. And we are to be a part of a fellowship of believers where we encourage one another and we also come to be encouraged ourselves. Now, there is a very special command for that in the Scriptures. I think all church members should be familiar with it. So I'd like you to turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. And in this chapter, the, the context of the passage is the, is the priesthood of Christ, and Christ is over the household of God. That it's Christ who actually makes it possible for us to meet with God and to have fellowship with Him. And so the author of Hebrews begins in chapter 10, verse number 22, and then he ends in verse number 25, telling us what we are to do since we have this, this great high priest who's opened up the way to God. And I'll remind you of this again, as you should know, there is only one way that you get to God. There's only one way to the Father, that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Scripture tells us here, what is our response? Because now we've been able to come into the fellowship of God. Well, he tells us here in Hebrews 10, starting verse 22, he says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And notice verse number 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so there you can see the command, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. There are very few statements in Scripture that are suggestions. God speaks with the authority of command. And Hebrews 10.25 does not appear to tell us that assembling as Christians is an optional thing. Now, the word church itself actually means assembly, and despite the damage that's been done to that word through the doctrine of the universal invisible church, that non-sistical mystical entity that never actually assembled, the word in Scripture still means, biblically, in a true sense, an actual assembly. And so in order for us to be obedient to Christ, we, we have to come into the assembly of God's people. And I might, I might add this, that Hebrews is the perfect place for uh, God to discuss this with us, and not, not as though he needs my approbation to put it here, but this is the perfect place for him to talk about this because the, the subject matter of the book of Hebrews is Old Testament law and customs, and it speaks about the tabernacle, uh, the Old Testament place where the people of God were commanded to come and worship. 
In fact, the tabernacle was actually the center of Israel's camp in the wilderness. It was in the very center of all the tribes. Three tribes encamped on each side of that tabernacle. The central part of their worship is the tabernacle, and that tabernacle represents Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, you have a type, you have a figure. These are figures of Christ. But now in the New Testament... We have the actual, we have the reality, because Christ has come. We have the reality of the true. No longer do we have the figure of the true. And you can well imagine that if in the Old Testament there is this command for Israel to come and worship, and that is in respect to the type, to the figure that is to come, if there is a command in the Old Testament to do that, and there is a curse put on people if they don't do that, then you could very well see that in the New Testament, when the reality has come, when Jesus Christ has come, that the command to assemble and to worship God is greater, actually, in the New Testament than it is in the Old. Now, we're accustomed to thinking about the Old Testament and how things have changed, and we say God changed things, and God is no longer this God that makes the demands that He made in the Old Testament. Folks, you are dead wrong if that's what you think. No, New Testament worship... It's far more important than Old Testament worship ever was because the reality has come and we understand the reality and God has given us greater understanding of His Word. And so, if you want to think about worship, think way beyond whatever they did in the Old Testament and think about how important it is for Christians to worship today. Now, I hope that you get the point here and I hope that you get it well because I think there are too many Christians who, who think that church attendance is actually a suggestion. And some think that it's their prerogative to, to stay out of church, to come to church whenever they feel like it, or when there's nothing else better that they have to do. And I can promise you this, that that kind of service was never tolerated in the Old Testament. Oh, there was a curse for ignoring the local assembly. And so why should we ever believe that worship in the New Testament would be less demanding than it was in the Old? And so we don't have an option. We don't have an option for when we come to church, the Lord's Day is the day that's set aside for this. This is the time for God's people to assemble. And you can't live for Jesus unless you are obedient. Didn't we learn that? We must keep His commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And this is a command that we find in the New Testament. A command to worship God. A command for His people to assembly. Assemble, rather. So I can tell you this, that the TV is not your worship service. I read uh, something interesting the other day that uh, Jimmy Swaggart, the disgraced televangelist, pastor of a church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, this is the pastor that was caught multiple times with prostitutes and then told the people of his church, it's no, you're not your business what I do. Uh, Jimmy Swaggart told people or tells people to get out of their churches and to become a part of its TV congregation and send their tithes and offerings to him. Now, there are plenty of people that are stupid enough to do that, but you can't make the TV your church. Not Swaggart, not Osteen, not even, a, not even a Baptist who may televise his services. No, the Lord commands us to assemble together as his God's people, to actually be in the fellowship of God's people. Now, I want to follow that up by speaking of what we're to do when we assemble. Now, we got that out of the way. We're supposed to be here. We are to assemble together. What are we supposed to do when we get here? And here I want to speak to you about the activities of the church, which, which are worship. I mean, really, everything that we do in the church is a form of worship in some way or another. I mean, we are consumed with worship when we come into the Lord's house. 
uh, even cutting the grass is a form of worship. I mean, doesn't Colossians 3.17 says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So even those things are forms of worship. But I think we would have to ask, is cutting the grass the highest form of worship? Well, no. Even Bob comes inside every now and then. So cutting the grass out there, that's not the most important part of worship. And as I talk about this, I, I of course, presuppose that you understand that you must be a Christian in order to worship. You can't worship God unless you're a Christian. I suppose that you understand or presuppose that you understand that worship has to come from your heart, that it's not based upon anything that's external. And I presuppose that uh, you understand that your attitude has to be right about it. And I think that you have to understand those things before anything that I'm going to say to you about worship will actually help you. But there are most, or most people do this, they just go through the motions of worship and they do it without a right heart. And when they, are, when they don't have the right heart and the right attitude about it, they don't truly worship. Jesus said to the woman at the well, you must worship God in spirit and in truth. And so just because you get a bunch of people together and they go inside of a building and they begin to sing songs and they jump up and down and it looks like they're doing something for God, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are actually worshiping God. You're not worshiping God unless you do it in spirit and in truth. So what are activities of worship? Well, I only have time to deal with one tonight. This is going to be an extended sermon, so we're just going to deal with one tonight, and I think that you probably know where I'm going to start. What is the first place that we would start when we speak of worship? We have to talk about preaching, the priority of preaching. Now, the order of our services does not place preaching first, but I can tell you this, that the priority of our services in that priority, preaching is always first. And there are some people, Baptists, many Baptists think that the order of the services were given on Mount Sinai or on the Mount of Transfiguration or somewhere. And so what we're supposed to do when we get together to have a church service is we've got to sing a song, and then we've got to sing another song, and then we have to have a special song, and then we have another song, and then we take an offering, then we have another song, and then it's time for the preaching. And many people think that's the sacred order of the service. You get anything out of that order, get the preaching in the wrong place, get the offering in the wrong place, and people get all upset because something's gone wrong with the order of the service. And you know, there's some people that are very concerned about who sits up here in the chairs, or who doesn't sit in the chairs. People are worried about things like that. You know that people get upset because the flags are back there in the corner instead of on either side of the, of the choir loft. But I can tell you something, those things have nothing at all to do to worship, but with worship. But if I'm sure of one thing that I know absolutely for certain, the priority of worship in God's church is the preaching of His Word. More important than anything that we do is the preaching of God's Word. That is the top priority. But you'd never actually know that by, by seeing what happens in the modern church today. Preaching doesn't seem to be a priority. In fact, preaching much of the time is just an appendage. That preaching is something that we do that's stuck on to the rest of everything else that we do. I, I've told you before about a church in northern Santa Rosa that has lots of singing, they have lots of jamming with the band, they have a coffee fellowship and all of that, and then at the end of all of that, the pastor gets up to preach a little sermonette, and he makes sure that it gets done on time because 12.30 is line dancing. 
So we've got to get rid of the preaching and get everything over with so we can do that. And folks, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's some churches that tell you, don't even bother to bring a Bible. You don't need a Bible. And that's so prevalent in churches that we have visitors that would come to our church and they never think to bring a Bible with them. Why? Because no one ever uses one. They've never seen anybody actually use a Bible in the church. And that's really not something that we blame visitors for. If we have visitors tonight, you don't have a Bible. This is not about you. It's about sorry pastors who, who mock the Christian faith by their indolence. And that is that they think that the Bible's too stuffy. That the Bible, that, that's just too hard for us. Brain-dead Christians don't need the Bible. And so the church is not really about God and all the outlandish hoopla that goes on in church services that pretends to be worship, folks, is more akin to blasphemy than it is truly worship. There's a lot of worshiping self and not God. There are emotional highs and there are feelings that go along with this. And this is not about God, it's about the person. And who's the cause of all of that? Well, really, I think it's the preacher. He doesn't preach the Word. He doesn't do what the Scripture says and tell the people that what we are supposed to do is to meditate on the Word of God day and night. That's our highest priority. That's the main priority of the Christian life. And so certainly it ought to be the main priority of the worship service. Jesus said in John 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And so what is truth and where is truth? Well, truth is what God says. And where do we get that truth? We get it in the Bible. Truth is found in the Bible. And how is that truth most often disseminated to God's people? It's through the preaching of his word. Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. Why did he say that? Well, he explains in 2 Timothy 3. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And that tells us then that a preacher who doesn't preach the word doesn't have a means of sanctifying the people. There is no means of correction. There's no means of reproof. There's no means of instruction in righteousness. And when a preacher doesn't preach the word, what he's done, he has abandoned the people. Preaching should be the priority of worship because preaching the Word of God is the way that we find Christ. This is how we know about Jesus Christ. And what did Paul say? He said, we preach Christ crucified. He said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And so worship begins with the truth, and that truth, friends, has to be substantial. The truth of God deserves more than a sermonette. It deserves more than feel-good stories. It has to be the Word of God expounded. And if the preacher doesn't do that, then get another preacher. Now, when you come to church, what you are to do is to worship God through His Word. Now, I like this story that we find in Acts chapter 20. Paul was not a sermonette preacher. And in Acts chapter 20, verse number 7, I, I think you're probably familiar with this. It says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread... Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and he continued his speech until midnight. Now notice that it was on the first day of the week. That's when the Bible tells us we are to come together. So the disciples are assembled on the first day of the week. They had the Lord's Supper, that, uh, or they broke bread. It says here that's probably a reference to the Lord's Supper. 
So on the first day of the week, here are these disciples, and Paul preached until midnight. Now that was a long, long sermon. And it's kind of strange that Paul would preach so long when you remember that Paul claimed that he wasn't a very good preacher. Or at least he claimed that others said that. Now he might have thought that he was doing pretty well, but he said, well, there are other people, they prefer to hear Peter preach. And there are some others still that prefer to hear Apollos preach. The great polished orator, Apollo, they loved to hear him preach. So Paul didn't, or people didn't really think too much of Paul's preaching. They said that his speech was contemptible. Remember that from 1 Corinthians? They said his speech is contemptible. What that actually means is they didn't really like his delivery. Now they had a problem with the delivery, but I'm telling you folks, they had no problem with the content of his sermon. I mean, there was something good about that because there aren't any of these people that got up and left. Paul was still preaching, and when he got to midnight, people were still there. So it must have been the content of that sermon that kept them. And folks, Paul had a really, really a lot of good stuff to say. And most of the things that Paul said were very difficult. Did you know that? Peter said, the things that Paul says, that stuff's hard to understand. Do you ever get stuck in a message and you think, wow, that's kind of hard to understand? Does that ever bother you sometimes? Now, according to Paul's M.O., I must be getting more like him all the time because people are telling me, I just don't understand. You're confusing me with all of that. And I know this, I'm not very good at the delivery either. I'm just good at confusing people, it seems. But this story does have a very interesting ending. Paul preached a long time, and there was one guy in the service that's a lot like some of you. Listen to the rest of this, verse number 8. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. I suppose that the many lights in the chamber put out a lot of heat. They used candles then. A lot of candles put out a lot of heat. And this heat made the guy named Eutychus very sleepy. I know sometimes I, I, I must be preaching with conviction because after the service about a couple of weeks ago, Bronwyn said to me, did you see that I was dozing off? And uh, I would have to say, Bronwyn, no, I was watching Bob instead because, you know. But, uh, and then Melissa, well, we won't talk about Melissa. We won't say anything about her. But I, I feel a lot like Paul when I see people sleeping. I'm not going to say who this was, but a few years ago I was watching someone as I was preaching who was sleeping and this person was getting into a deep sleep, I think, because he, can't, he kept drifting over to the right and drifting and drifting until about he was ready to fall into the floor and someone grabbed him quickly and pulled him back up before he fell on the floor. And that was a, that's a good thing for you to do because you don't want to have to embarrass somebody by me having to go down and raise the dead because they hit their head on the concrete floor. So someone sleeping in the service, and you all know the old joke about that. It's uh, this fellow's name that... He's called Eutychus, and the joke is, you know, Eutychus too if you fell out of a window. But that's what happened to him, he fell out the window. So Paul's delivery, it, it, it might not have been too great, but you can count on this, that the sermons were power-packed. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So what we ought not to do is get caught up in the slick presentation of the preacher. You ought not to really worry about whether the preacher can run from that side to this side and wear a hole in the carpet in the middle... Don't worry about that. It's what does he have to say? What is he preaching from the pulpit? That's the thing that's important. What is the content of that sermon? 
Now, much of preaching is not worth listening to. A preacher can be as polished as Shakespeare, but he has to have something that's going to bless God's people with truth. Uh, I mentioned Apollos just a moment ago. Apollos was a great orator, but we come to find out that what Apollos had to say wasn't too good until Priscilla and Aquila got hold of him and expounded the Word of God to him more perfectly, so he became the kind of preacher that he ought to be. The kind of sermons that I don't like, I don't like sermons where preachers chase rabbits. I don't like sermons where a preacher leaves the text and he goes off on tangents and he has all kinds of stories to tell. I mean, folks, I want to know what does the word mean? You ever got away from a service unfulfilled because you heard everything the preacher had to say and you still don't know what the Bible actually says and means? You ever had a church service like that? Well, I think some of you have. We need to know what does the Bible say. So you wonder, why do preachers spend so much time in their own wisdom when we have a book of wisdom that gets straight to the point every time that, it, that we open it? We don't need all the stories, that, sappy stories that, that preachers tell. God's Word is straight to the point. That's what we need. And we don't need preachers who think that what they have to say is more important than what God says. Now let's talk a little bit about this corporate worship. What does preaching mean to you? Well, there are actually two important features to preaching. And the first part of it is what I do. The second part of it is what you do. Now, we're all trying to live for Jesus. And in this corporate setting of the church, it actually takes two of us to get there. It takes what I do and what you do. From my perspective, when I look at preaching, it's important for you to learn. The first thing is the importance of learning. It's important what you learn here. You see, I don't want to spend time studying the Bible, spend hours and hours doing this for you not to learn. Now, if you listen to Osteen, if you listen to that kind of preaching, you're going to learn something. You'll learn something from him. Osteen will give you the Tony Robbins approach, and he'll give you the attaboy speech, and he'll give you a motivational message, and you'll learn from him to be self-motivated. Now, Osteen, Osteen said that he didn't really know very much about the scriptures. He was actually the sound guy in his father's church. No reflection on you, Bob or Steve. Uh, but he was actually the, the sound guy in his father's church, and he must have been fiddling with the sound when the preaching was going on because he didn't learn very much. And just to be truthful about the whole thing, his father didn't have much to say anyway, so I don't think he would have learned anything if he did listen. But you're going to learn something listening to Osing, just like you'll learn if you listen to a lecture about compost. I mean, you'll learn something about compost that you didn't know, probably, if you listened to a lecture on that. But the question is, in church, what are you supposed to learn? What is the thing that you are supposed to learn? What are you to learn from preaching? And I would suggest to you that the Scriptures are full of things that tell us what we are supposed to learn. For instance, in, in Titus chapter 2, here Paul says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now there you find salvation, you find self-denial. Here it talks about holy living, it speaks of sanctification, it talks about the promise of the second coming. And if a preacher 
is staying in a pulpit dealing with other things than these things, then you're not getting what you should from the pulpit. Now, you ought to get the obvious picture here of what you should learn from the worship and the corporate worship of Brian Baptist Church, that the object of all of this is that you might grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We don't need anything else but that, do we? Learn and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that will teach you how to live for Jesus. Now, let me give you the Apostle Paul's assessment of all other kinds of knowledge, and this would be his critique of Joel Osteen's preaching and others like him. In Philippians 3, verse 8, Paul said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. You might want to underline the word dung in your Bible and write Osteen beside it. And uh, you know how your Bible has these little letters right next to some of the words, and there in the, in the center column reference, it tells you what that word means? Well, put a little letter right there beside dung, and then right beside that, Greek for Osteen. So it's really, it's the knowledge of Christ that we're after here, and there, there's not much else that matters. Now, some of you might not like the idea that I pick on Osteen, but I do that because I think that he represents the best of the worst of what's happened in the Christian church. In his best-selling book, Your Best Life Now, did you know that he had his best life without the gospel? There was no gospel in his book. Or was there? I don't know how many have read it, but there actually was the gospel in his book. It was found in the appendix. And there was one little short phrase there, a gospel-like presentation found in the appendix. Now, does that tell you what the priority for him is about God's Word? Oh, he's full of all of his Joel Osteen uh, platitudes, but he's not full of gospel preaching. Well, what about this knowledge of Christ? Is it important that you learn in the church and what you learn? Well, in the past couple of years, I've uh, actually more years than that, that I've had some families that came to me with, uh, with the same complaint. And they came to me with anger about what they learned in church. Now, not about what they learned here, but what they didn't learn in the church that they used to go to, about the time that they wasted in their previous church. And uh, it was anger with preachers that didn't teach from the Word of God, that really didn't seem to care uh, about learning and about spiritual health. Now, there are many people, even people that have been Christians for a long, long time, that don't even realize what's in the Bible. They don't realize it till they come here. And that's not, this is not about me. I'm not saying that. Now, but this is what the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ does. I mean, this is what the true church has always done. It's always preached the Bible. It's always preached the Word of God and made that, foc made that the focus and made that central. It's God's plan that we preach His Word. And so the teaching of the Bible shouldn't be that we skip over the unpopular parts and we gloss over the implications of the truth or that we change things so that people like it better. No, the, the Bible even itself tells us that the Word of God is not palpable to our human flesh. And so if you're getting something from the preaching that hurts, then you're probably getting exactly what you need because that's what the Word of God does to our flesh. It corrects the flesh. It changes us. It does something different with us. So if you feel like sermons are stepping on your toe, that's what they're designed to do. 
Now, here's the thing that we ought to learn from this, or one of the things that we learn, is that no Christian comes into the Christian life with knowledge. Now, there are some that have more academic knowledge of the facts than other people do, but all of us come into the Christian life in the same way. That is, we're born. We are born again, aren't we? And so all of us come into the Christian life in exactly the same way. We all come in as babies. All of us are immature Christians when we get saved. Now, we're supposed to learn, of course. We are to learn from the Scriptures. And at first, we don't really know anything about the Scriptures. And we can't because the Bible says that his, God's Word is spiritually discerned. This is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, the natural man, of course, is the person who doesn't yet know Christ. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So we can't know very much when we first get saved because we've come from a place where we were spiritually dead. We didn't have the Spirit of God in us. We had no one to teach us what the Word of God says. We can't understand it. And when we get saved, then the Holy Spirit becomes our teacher. Now, a pastor certainly has to be aware of that. And seasoned Christians, you have to be very patient with this. Now, why does a, why does a seasoned Christian need to be patient? Well, because you'll often have to listen to me break down scriptures, the same scriptures over and over again, because I have to break them down to the, to the infants, to the growing toddler Christians. Some are new to Christianity. Some have been Christians actually for a long time, but they haven't been taught anything. And so when I announce that I'm going to preach on a particular subject, you might roll your eyes and say, not this again. You have to be patient with that. When I'm on a particular topic that people need to learn, there are some that have never heard. There are some that need to have it explained. And we notice this in the teaching ministry that we get the same questions over and over and over again. And I'll tell you right now, that is expected, and it's okay. It's exactly the way it should be. And if you've heard it over and over, but you still can't articulate what we believe, then you need to hear it again. Uh, if you've if you have heard about election and things like that, effectual grace, and you've heard about particular redemption, and you can't explain that to someone else, if I talk about the doctrine of justification and you can't explain that to someone else, then you need to hear it again. And you need to keep hearing it until you learn it, until you can articulate it. And then for those of you that are, that are new to the faith, you have to be patient too. Because I'm going to teach some things that you don't understand. And that's because there are people in the congregation that have to move on. As the book of Hebrews tells us, that we're not to just keep laying over and over again the same foundation to the same people. No, there, there comes a time when a Christian's maturing in the faith and he needs to hear more. And that means that sometimes the new Christians that are sitting in the congregation are going to hear things they don't understand. And you have to be patient with that. And you have to wait. And you have to learn. And you have to listen and then you have to apply the things that you hear, and sometime or another, you will understand. I've had so many people that tell me, when I first came here, I didn't understand a word that you were talking about. But then they say, now, I understand. I see that. And that comes with time spent listening to what? Preaching. 
Come to hear the preaching of God's word. Now, progress in Christian knowledge is not any different than any other knowledge in that respect. And that is, you don't expect to understand algebra and trigonometry if you haven't mastered general math. Well, you have to have a beginning here. You have to start with the, uh, uh, the things that you need to learn that are simple and then move on to the harder things. Now, let me return here to the command to assemble for a minute. What happens when you miss the preaching? How much do you learn? If you miss the preaching, what do you learn? When are you going to be ready to move on if you continually absent yourself from the preaching of God's Word? When are you going to be ready to move on? Well, not any sooner than a child that never goes to school, right? Well, this is why we come. We come to hear God's Word to learn. Now, unfortunately, there's not much learned in many churches. Uh, the preacher skims over the surface of the Bible, or he doesn't teach the Bible at all. Uh, most, most churches act as if all of their students are kindergarten students, and they're happy to keep them there. You know, the amazing thing to me, I can go to churches like that and I can see people taking notes furiously like they've got the great apostle in the pulpit or something. Those are typical of people that haven't learned the Word of God. You know, you think about this. You know, some people think, oh, well, it's all right if I'm a baby Christian. It's all right if I come to church and I stay that way. I don't listen very well and come when I can. And, and it really doesn't matter if I don't grow. But do you think that Jesus is happy with thumb-sucking Christians? I mean, should a Christian stay that way all of his life? Would you be happy if one of your children spoke baby talk until he's 10 years old? Or you had to change diapers at 15? Are you going to be very happy with that? You know what a pastor spends a lot of time doing? Changing diapers of 15-year-old Christians. Spend a lot of time doing that. When people should have learned more, they should have been able to just handle the Word of God, but they haven't listened. Most preachers today will go to conferences where the thing that you remember are the jokes that are told. Oh, this is, this is really popular among independent fundamental Baptists. Uh, the conferences, uh, it's the jokes that are told, and people think, you know that guy up there, he's really tearing up Jack in the pulpit today when really the message that he's preaching is so pitifully weak that people don't even understand what good preaching is. They don't understand what expositional preaching of the Word of God is. A few years ago, uh, we went to a conference where the two, most, the two most favorable messages were one where a guy talked incessantly about himself instead of Jesus Christ, and the other one was where a guy told a story about an explo exploding sewage tank on an RV. And that's telling a whole joke for 35 minutes. And that was the gist of the sermon. Well, I chose not to do that anymore. Uh, I go to a conference where three days, this year four days, is nothing but straight exposition of Scripture. And I remember that the first time that I went to the Shepherds Conference down in L.A., when I came back, uh, Eric said this to me. He said, something happened to you there. And he was right. Something happened. I was able to hear the Word of God instead of a lot of shouting and screaming about a whole lot of nothing. So preaching, preaching is important. It's important what you learn. What do you learn about Christ? A few years ago, there was a, a family member of one of our church members here, and this, this person came to our church, and he talked to me about how much that he loved his church. And I really like to hear that. I like to hear that from you. 
that you would tell people just really how much I love my church. And so when this person was talking about his church and how much he loved it, I thought, that's such a wonderful thing. I think I'll go and hear what, and see what he likes so much about this church. And so I did go, and I, I attended one of the services there. And what I learned was that what he liked was the band. He liked the band, and, and uh, he liked the, the entertainment that was going on. He liked the social activities. And then I listened to the, to the message of the pastor that he thought was so great, and when I got through listening to that, I went and repented to God that I wasted my time and God's time when I could have been doing something actually that was productive. But such are churches today. The Word of God isn't preached. So from my perspective, my perspective about preaching is what God intends for you to learn from it. Well, what then is your perspective of preaching? Your perspective is the importance of listening. It's listening. Now, I, I, I teach, of course, and, and uh, we do believe that the Holy Spirit directs the content of the messages that are prepared. And I'm not saying that I have a direct pipeline to God and, and God, you know, reveals certain things to me in the middle of the night and that's the message that you get. That's not the way that it works. I mean, I study the Bible, and then the Holy Spirit shows me the things that I should teach you. And that, that comes to me in prayer and various other, and that way, of God uh, speaking to the mind as we begin to prepare the sermons. But you'll notice something about the sermons here, that they're prepared weeks in advance. The sermons that I preach or work on this week will be preached in four or five weeks. In fact, this particular sermon that I'm preaching tonight was was written about two months ago, and that was before the first message was ever preached in this series. Now, even though I plan in advance, there's someone almost always that comes and says, that's the message that I needed today. Who makes that work? You know, there's some preachers who say that won't work. They'll say, well, the, the message has to be fresh. And what they mean by that is, I think I'll wait till Saturday night to figure out what I'm going to preach on Sunday morning. And that's what they mean by fresh. But you know the Holy Spirit doesn't need a message that's hot off the press? You know why? Because the Holy Spirit knew what you needed before you were ever born. Before the world was ever created, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you need at exactly the right time. And so I don't worry that a message that I prepare a month in advance is going to miss some hot topic that needs to be talked about. Oh, the Holy Spirit's well capable of directing that. Now let me get back to the point that I want to make here, is that it's important the way that you listen to what's being said. Now sermons aren't really very long anymore. Mine seem to be getting longer and longer, but... But uh, sermons aren't much, are, are not very long anymore because people don't listen very long anymore. It's not likely I'm going to preach till midnight tonight because I know that before I ever even got close to there, you're not going to be here. You'll be, you'll be somewhere else. And you know, I'm amazed by the reports that we hear from missionaries and, and other parts of the world where people love the Word of God so much and they haven't heard it and they need it and they want it so much that they'll sit and they'll listen for hours to the sermons from God's Word and... I was thinking about this the other day that, you know, someone asked me if I'd come overseas to, to preach there. And, and I'm going to say, well, I don't think I will because I can't preach for five hours like you guys do. But that, that's what people want. But here in America, we just got too many distractions. We can't sit very long without going to sleep. And that's because we're not all that interested in the Word of God. When we, when we go to the Shepherds Conference, 
It'll be sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. It ends up being a 16-hour day, and yet I look forward to going to that conference as much as I would a vacation in Tahiti because we need the Word of God. But we just have too many distractions. But I want you to understand this, that the way that you receive the Word of God has a whole lot to say about your spiritual condition. How you receive God's Word says something about where you are spiritually. This is what James wrote. He said, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Now, if you decide to look this up in your Bible, uh, then you might want to underline this phrase, Of his own will begat he us. And that's just in case you like to flirt with passages on the will that don't have anything to do with salvation. Here's one that's pretty clear, as if there is no other place in the Bible that we could actually find it. But of his own will begat he us. Now notice how that he did that, that the Word of God says he did it with the truth. It's the truth that begins the transformation. And folks, that is a major testament to the power of the Word of God because what it does is it takes people that are the worst sinners that they can possibly be and it makes them saints. And you think about that for just a minute. If the Word of God can do that to a person who doesn't know Christ, who is lost, and it can bring him to Christ, then think what the Word of God is going to do in him when he knows Christ. How powerful will the Word of God be then? How powerful is God's Word in the life of a believer? Now, if you listen to it, what can the Word of God do for you? Well, some people receive the Word of God. Remember, it's important how you listen, but some people receive the Word of God with a chip on their shoulder. They come into the church and their attitude is, there is no preacher that's going to tell me what to do. And if that's what you think, then you'll leave just like you came. There won't be any change in you. You know, the Bible also tells us that people who act that way, you can hear the Word of God without changing, without doing something in your life, and your conscience can become seared as with a hot iron. It can come to the point that God no longer even convicts you of that sin anymore. It's best for you to deal with it when you hear about it. So if you want to improve and you want to live for Jesus, come with the right attitude, and let your attitude be the same as my intent. And my intent is that I want to help you. As Paul said, should you be angry with me because I tell you the truth? If I preach on your sin, should you be angry with me because I tell you the truth? I don't really have any interest in lording over people. That's, that's not my purpose. I do this because I've seen too many Christians that made shipwreck of their faith. They heard the word, but they didn't listen to the word. They heard the warnings, but they didn't heed the warnings. And so they let all the warnings go by. And they never get out of their sin. Folks, it is important how we listen to the word of the living God. James also said, If any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed Indeed. Now, folks, that's how good listening results in good living. You hear the Word and you apply the Word of God. So we come to church, we listen, and we learn from God's Word. The Bible says, forsake not 
the assembling of yourselves together. And we could very well add, and it would all be true, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together to hear the preaching of the word. Well, next time we're going to come back, we'll talk more about what we do in the church as we worship the Lord and live for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had to spend together tonight. And Lord, we have to apologize for the ineptitude of the presentation of your word because we could never give it the way that it stated that would be in any way, any way approach the magnitude, the glory, the power of it. We're just weak vessels. As the Apostle Paul said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We understand that, Lord. We're nothing but clay, pots of clay that you use as you see fit. Lord, we just ask you, use the message that's been preached tonight. Bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.